Hello and welcome to the Cat Maste Chronicles podcast. We have exciting, interesting and powerful stories from pet owners about their projects, businesses and ventures. I'm your host, Michelle Adams, founder of Chatty Cats Care, London's professional cat sitting company. Join me as I dive deep into conversation with pet owners to chat about their individual journeys and of course, their beloved pets. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Cat Mash Day Chronicles podcast. This week we are joined by Jerry Butner. Jerry is a life and business coach that helps dreamers turn their visions into reality. After spending a decade facing corporate burnout, depression and apathy, she turned her life around by realising her passion and kick-started a change. Jerry works with her clients to help them awaken their potential, master their minds and develop the strategy and commitment needed to achieve their wildest goals. Jerry is also a wonderful cat mum to a sweet kitty cat called Fiona, who I'm looking forward to hearing all about later in the show. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining us today, Jerry. I've already briefly introduced you, but if you could tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, that would be great. Hi, Michelle. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, so I live in Boston with my cat, Princess Fiona III. Uh, (laughs) Her friends call her Fee. Uh, And I have really spent the last few years on a journey, a journey of self-discovery and awakening to my own potential and just totally shifting a lot of different things in my life. And where that's brought me today is currently acting as a life and business coach, helping people uh, wake up to their own potential. And by potential, I mean their own power to create their lives and to choose Uh, and make decisions in alignment with their truth and what they want. And oftentimes that means launching their own business. So I help them with that as well. Uh, And, you know, part of me starting my own business was so I could spend my days doing what's really important to me, which is taking care of myself, self-care, well-being. Um, So I have the space to do that. And so that's pretty much how my days are spent is caring for myself and helping others care for themselves, which is a pretty great life (laughs) as I'm reflecting on it right now. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's such a common goal as well, even for myself, like my kind of reasoning behind starting my own business as well, obviously the passion, but secondly, to have that sense of control again of my life and well-being and being able to manage my own time and have that time out in the day as well where I can kind of take care of myself and and give myself some self-love, which is so important. It absolutely is. And I've found that with my clients, there's often a sense of shame around that or guilt, like self-care is um, being a little bit self-involved or even the word narcissistic has come around whenever we talk about self-love or self-care. And Mm -hmm. so it really is so critical to just transform people's mindsets about that so we can start filling up our own cup before we start pouring out to other things. Oh, 100% because I believe that you need to be at your best to give your best. So let's start off by chatting about your former career as a startup and corporate leader. 
What did your role entail? Um, what was the day-to-day like? Oh, so my role was really different every day, but I was the head of marketing uh, for an impact investing app. And it was this really interesting experience where I was in this larger corporation um, a startup within that larger corporation. Uh, so I had access to all of these resources, uh, but also it was a smaller team and we were getting something off of the ground. So a lot of my time was spent just learning how to create something from nothing and directing that. Um, so that would be building out the marketing funnel, allocating budget, uh, directing a team on the kind of brand that we wanted to be, and essentially figuring out how to make clients come from absolutely nowhere because we weren't a well-established brand or business. Yeah, yeah. And during this job, like so many people who work in a corporate environment, including myself at one point in life, you started to experience burnout and depression. Can you tell us a little bit more about that period of time and, and what it was like for you? You know, as I as I think about that question, I realize that I think the burnout and the apathy and the depression started actually sooner than the career. And it started even in school mm-hmm. and in college. And to reflect on that, I realize it was less about the corporate world itself and more about the structure of the sort of environment that uh, we're in, whether it's school or work, which is almost like this ladder where there are rungs below you and rungs above you. And your only goal is to just get up to the next one within the guardrails of um, where you're where you're able, the path you're allowed to go down. Um, and so I think I really resisted this for, for a very long time. And I thought that it would get better as I got further up the ladder and I climbed up another rung and another rung. And what I realized whenever I did hit pretty top of that ladder as a head of marketing role was that it wasn't getting any better and that I was going up a ladder um, where I thought that the solution was at the top, but I think I was just on the wrong ladder and maybe I didn't even want to be on a ladder at all. So it was that realization that was really pivotal for me. I think it's so good that you did have that realization because I think it's it's quite difficult sometimes to actually come to that realization. And some people, like you mentioned earlier, are very self-critical. So they maybe think, okay, well, it's not that bad and other people might be experiencing worse than me, but it's not true. Like it's so important to kind of have that realization and, and, and know enough about yourself to know that this isn't working or it isn't for you. That's a great connection to make uh, between sort of the self-care and the self-deserving, the sense of uh, deserving what you want and people actually making transitions out of, you know, situations that they don't love or enjoy, because in order to actually take action towards that, we need to believe that we're worth it and that we deserve what we want. Yeah, it's so true. Exactly. It starts with that. Um, But during this time, you realized that you had a passion for kickstarting change and making an impact. So can you tell us a bit more about that too? Yes, I found myself in these roles and then organically starting started directing myself into roles where I was really responsible for managing the beginning phases of businesses. Uh, I was getting in from the ground up for these startups and building something out of nothing. And I really loved that. 
in retrospect, whenever I was thinking back to even my early years, uh, I think I've always known this. And it, it took a decade of my career to really like circle back and realize that I've always known this. I remember a journalism class that I took in college and we had to write this bio for ourselves. And I remember the line I wrote, which was, I help clear the clouds between conceptualization and operationalization. I make things happen. Mm -hmm. And that really is just the joy and the passion that I've had all this while. And after spending, you know, 10 years doing this for other people, like large organizations and companies, I realized that I could do that for myself and I could do it for other individuals to have really high impact on a personal level. So you started your career as a life and business coach. Can you walk us through the process of how that all started? (laughs) The process is a little entertaining because I actually quit my job without having any idea of what I was going to do. And interestingly enough, two weeks after I put in my notice, the pandemic was just full blown out of nowhere in the U.S., Um, so it was, the timing was quite interesting, but it ended up really working out because the process for me, was giving myself space. I wanted space to gain clarity on the business that I wanted to start. And so I did not do anything for two months. Um, I let myself rest and it was kind of, the timing did work out, um, you know, horrible, unfortunate situation that honestly we all wish did not happen, but there was this tiny, tiny silver lining of, I can rest a little bit now. Mm -hmm. Um, and within that came a lot of insight and clarity for me. And I realized that I wanted to help people in this way. And I had the business idea of marketing consulting, which is slightly different from what I do now, marketing consulting for for, uh, wellness business owners, and also bringing well-being tips to corporate environments with talks. So I just had that initial idea. I didn't feel totally ready. I didn't know that it was 100% right, but I just put it out there anyways. I announced it to my network and I started getting clients pretty soon after that. I then pivoted a few times. And that's the beauty of starting your own business is once you put something live and take action, you have the flexibility to pivot in alignment with what it is you want and what you actually enjoy doing. Um, So yeah, I, I guess the process is just having enough clarity to make it tangible and take action and then allowing myself the freedom and flexibility to pivot as I went. Yes. And, you know, so many people have said the same thing about that little silver lining during the pandemic because it did force all of us to stop. And with that, I feel, came lots of time for clarity and ideas. And I even started this podcast during that time. So I thought, oh, wow. Yeah. So it's obviously, like you said, an awful situation that we wouldn't wish again um, to have again. But again, out of that has has come so many wonderful businesses and entrepreneurs and projects and, and yeah, so many different amazing things. I have seen an increase in people wanting to take that leap into generating their own wealth and starting their own business as well. Um, and I think the, the natural gut instinct would be like, oh, people will want to kind of play it safe and um, seek comfort during this time. But I've seen quite the opposite where people are finally realizing the steps they want to take in alignment with the dreams they have. Do you have any advice 
for a new startup, for example? What advice would you give somebody who wanted to start something now? The advice I would give is that it is not as complex as people make it out to be. It really can be quite simple to start your own business. And there are three things I say you need ultimately. One is going to be a valuable offering that you can deliver. Two is at least one human being on the planet who wants to give you money in exchange for that value or that offering. And number three, a way to deliver the offering and a way to receive the payment. If you really just drill it down, that is what a business is. And that is the basics, the history of what business is. And we have just really complicated with a million different marketing funnels and types of business plans and all of these things that are so very helpful whenever you're ready for them. But you don't necessarily need to start out that way. You can start out simple and then snowball into the more complex and still be very successful. Yeah, I think a lot of people have maybe some anxieties about getting started. But like you said previously, just start and then you can pivot during your business, you know, during the start of the business. Absolutely. There's so much freedom in the land of action Mm. versus staying in the land of planning Mm. um, where you're just not getting as much information and feedback to learn from. Exactly, exactly. Because mistakes are good as well. It's good to make mistakes. Amen. (laughs) Can you tell us what you learned as a first year entrepreneur earning five figure month? I learned that it doesn't have to be a struggle. Uh, There is definitely going to be challenging in many ways. I'm not saying that you're not going to put in the hours, but it does not have to be this hustle culture. pushing a rock up a hill kind of experience. Mm -hmm. It truly can be what you make it. Um, And with that, going back to a guiding principle that I often engage in with my clients is keeping it simple instead of complex and also really hyper-focusing, creating a parking lot where you can put all of those great ideas that you have that you can get to at some point and really leaning in to what what you've decided is your simple path. Um, Even if you get tempted to stray from it, if you're not seeing immediate success, lean into your simple upfront initial offering and your initial marketing funnel and just see where it takes you instead of getting distracted. Because whenever all of your energy and time is aligned towards one goal, you're way more likely to get further with that than if you're spreading your time and energy across all these different actions and all these different focus areas. It's so true. That's a sound piece of advice, actually. Thank you. And I think, yes, we do over complex things. Um, And I was guilty of that as well when I first started my business. And then you kind of just get into this flow. And once you're in the flow of things, I think it's so much easier. The flow is a beautiful place to be. Yes, it is. It is. So how important is time management when starting a business? (laughs) I'm laughing because that can be quite the challenge. Something that I bring up to people um, because they're confused by it is that we've been in this hyper go, go, go hustle culture, um, capitalistic society where we're really in more of our like 
in the, you know, spiritual or woo-woo communities, like in the masculine energy, which we all have the masculine and feminine within us. Um, and with, when we're in that masculine energy, it's about like consciousness and action and doing. And whenever we've been expected to almost 100% of the time be in that, we can go into the feminine um, in this way that is almost like wounded, um, where we just want to rest and we can't seem to do anything. And so for me and for a lot of people that I've witnessed, it's about finding that balance between the masculine and the feminine, the productive and the fluid flowy, uh, the creative and the more analytical and finding that balance, uh, which is so, so much of a part of time management and how you spend your time and how you allow your time to be directed. So a way that I really invite people to think about time management is creating intentional containers where you set an alarm on your phone for 50 minutes and you sit down to focus on just one thing. You put it on your calendar to time block it if you'd like, and you sit down and you just focus on that one thing with your phone all the way across the room, no other tabs up, but what you need and give yourself 50 minutes of space to do it. It sounds so simple, but it really truly does have a high impact on your focus and on your intentions for getting stuff done. And if you put aside, you know, 10, 50 minute intentional containers uh, on your calendar every week, you'll probably find that you've done a lot more work than if you just kind of like had your to-do list and were trying to squeeze it in. It's so true. I think I'm going to do that as well. And I'm getting like, I'm learning so much from listening to you. So thank you so much. I'm definitely going to listen back over to this podcast and, and write some notes for myself. Oh, you're so kind. I'm glad that it's helpful. It is, it is. How important is it to identify your audience or clients for somebody who's just starting out? All right. I have a slightly unpopular opinion about this in the marketing world. It is absolutely helpful. And in the long term, I would say it's pretty critical. But up front, you do not need to niche down in the way that there that you are pressured to. There are a lot of thought leaders and voices in the space for small businesses where they say, you need to know exactly who it is that you're talking to. And you need to know that straight out of the gate, you will not be successful otherwise. And I simply don't agree. I think part of the beauty of starting your own business up front is being able to experiment um, and being able to cast a broader net and see what your value proposition and the solutions that you're providing to, to people's problems um, seeing who those resonate with. Um, so I might even take it up a level, like a rung higher and consider more like what problem am I solving for people? What value am I offering and who might be interested in that and exploring those audiences um, and not necessarily needing to already know exactly who it is, this tiny niche that you're speaking to. Also, because you may have one idea in your head of what you think or who you think your audience is, but then it turns out that it's a completely different audience that you never thought of in the first place. <laughs> yes, and it, there is this hilarious uh, tendency in the corporate world where people have so much money to spend. Where I've seen people spend twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars to do research on people and ask questions and do surveys and come up with these personas, um, which are essentially the audience demographics and characteristics that we'll be targeting with a new product. And nine times out of ten, these get put into a deck for you know the vice president or the CEO 
or whoever is going to be giving you the money. And they're like, mm, okay, you've done your due diligence, you've done your research and they give you the money. And then you never think about the personas again, or they're thrown around in a way that's not actually super critical or helpful. Um, so that's kind of something that I feel like trickled down from the corporate environment. And I'm not saying they're not helpful. I'm not saying that they haven't been leveraged quite well in some organizations, yeah. but a lot of times it's just sort of a way to feel more comfortable. Yes. Comfort blanket. That makes yes. Sense. <laughs> it's true. Um, in a society driven by social media and perfectionism, um, what advice would you give someone who was struggling with self-doubt? I would say one of the biggest realizations that you can have that can profoundly impact and your seeking of perfection is just acknowledging the fact that it does not exist. Mm-hmm. Perfection does not exist. And if you want to make it sort of objective instead of subjective and say, okay, um, let's say that there's the perfection of getting a 100 on all of my tests. I'm in some sort of course and I'm going to get a hundred on everything. You could say, oh, well, that's perfect. But subjectively, there's the consideration of, is it actually perfect? Like if you're scoring so well on everything, are you wasting your time by being in this course? Are you being challenged? Do you need to be in the the next level higher up? Um, You know, what are the considerations of the people around you whenever you score this high? They might not like it because it makes them feel insecure. There are just so many different considerations for what it means to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it quite simply does not exist. There are pros and cons to every single thing in life. There's light and dark to everything. And just realizing that is such a huge release. Yes. And also filters and and certain Instagram posts. I mean, Instagram and reality are, are two different things. So you may look at a business online and think, wow, like I could never do this. But then, you know, you don't really know the reality of what's going on behind the scenes. You really have no idea. And I've started just showing up. Um, whenever I have something to say uh, and I want to share it on social media, on a story or in a video, I've started just doing it in my current state, no matter what. Like there's no going in to fix my hair or add makeup if I don't have any on. You know, it's about just showing up and realizing that perfection doesn't exist. And what I have to say, the words that I have to speak are more important than the way that I look. No, it's so true. I think uh, what comes to my head is um, one of my favorite actresses, Sarah Paulson. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's in um, a series called American Horror Stories. Um, And she came onto her Instagram live. She was like wearing pajamas, looked like she'd been out all day. And I just thought, wow, I admire that so much because you know, she just come across like a, just a normal average person. And she's like this huge celebrity. And I've thought, I really respect that so much because this is reality, you know? Yeah. Isn't that great to see? And whenever you see other people in their authenticity, it inspires you to be able to be in your authenticity. Absolutely. 100%. So I liked something I read on one of your blog posts. You said, in a world addicted to immediate results, it's easy to get stuck in a cycle of self-gratification. So what does this mean and how can we avoid it? This means that we tend to focus on the actions that give us immediate results and we deprioritize the things that are more like an investment in our future self. 
Um, so, you know, whenever we are constantly surrounded by screens that give us dopamine hits and social media platforms where we post and we immediately get all these hearts and comments and all this love and support, we will most likely, if given the choice, feel a desire to move towards the instant gratification of the social media channel or any other channel where we're getting an immediate response versus the investment in our future self, which might be something either a little bit more behind the scenes or you know, cultivating a relationship that may or may not pay off in the future. It's these things that we want to keep balanced because both are important, um, but achieving a balance of the two is really critical. Definitely. You said meaningful audiences are more important than the size of your audience. And I couldn't agree more. Can you tell us a bit more about that? The the people who pay you money in, in a business are the ones who are going to be most likely to pay you again. They recognize the value. They appreciate the value. They want it. They need it. And so by cultivating really deep relationships and a connection and providing so much value to a smaller number of people um, versus trying to just sort of like lightly touch or lightly connect with or become um, generate awareness with a much larger audience, you're able to cultivate a deeper, more meaningful and more honestly fruitful connections and relationships with your audience. Additionally, in the sort of referral space, if referrals are really important for your business, you're most likely to get those from the people who are deeply invested in the value that you provide. And if you are in a service-based business and you rely on, say, like consults or something like that, or signing people on or onboarding them, um, in my experience, the people who are referred to me are way more likely to, to sign than those who come in because they discovered me through a piece of content. So it really is an investment that's a gift that keeps on giving, cultivating that smaller group of meaningful relationships. 100%. And there's just this issue with with numbers and people asking like how many followers do you have and they think that that accounts for your business and and the quality of of your service for example what kind of kind of business you operate but it's it's really ridiculous because you could have such an amazing small engaged audience who are always there they they always like and comment on your posts and they're just so dedicated um, they'll probably buy from your service or your business and like the, we live in a world that's so fixated with with those numbers and, and followers. It just, I just can't comprehend it. It is an unfortunate fixation, which can make sense if you have like a very small, um, lower price product that you have to sell in super high volume in order to profit. But even then, at the end of the day, if you're focusing on quality relationships, word of mouth is around 95% of marketing um, that we can't attribute, that we can't track, we can't trace at all. Um, And I like to tell people the story of how I got my first client from a LinkedIn post that got zero likes. Like zero. No no one liked it, (laughs) but someone signed. (laughs) No way. That's so impressive. Okay, that's really good. And it just shows exactly you don't need that engagement. Like it just takes one post and there are people watching as well. Like you may post something and you think, oh, you know, I haven't really got many likes. No one's engaging, but people are watching. And that's the thing I think people, they they don't realize. Completely agree. Yeah, yeah. 
So your mentor, Rich Litvin, talks about your audience fitting into five buckets. And I found that really interesting to read, actually. So if you wouldn't mind sharing and telling us a bit about what all of those are, I think that would be super helpful. Yeah, the five buckets, that was a turning point for me. I love this. And so according to Rich, who is a life coach that I really admire and follow, um, you are going to have in your life, whether you're a business or just, you know, in your personal life, your ones, twos, threes, fours, and fives. Um, and your ones like hate you, frankly, they really, really don't like you. They despise you. Um, they, if they get the opportunity would probably say unkind things about you. Um, like they're just, they're not your fans. Your twos like don't really care for you. And whenever I say you, I'm talking about like you perhaps as an individual or you in terms of like your, your business or your offering, um, they, they're not really into it and, you know, but they're not as, um, invested in their dislike as the ones your threes are pretty neutral. You know, they like, they see that you've got your stuff, they're aware of you, but you know, they could really go either way. Your fours, they like it. They like the value. They like the content. Um, they like you They're They're interested, but maybe they're not really signing with you yet or becoming clients or customers. And your fives are like, it's like your grandma and, you know, all of your uh, clients who keep coming back for more, the people who provide you testimonials, the people who spread word of mouth about you or in your personal life, like your very best friends. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he talks about how we have this tendency to focus on our ones and twos and totally ignore the feedback of the fours and fives and the presence of our fours and fives in our lives. And it really is just about shifting from consideration of your ones and twos and allowing what they're going to think to hold you back or make you play small and instead redirecting your energy totally towards your fours and your fives. Mm -hmm. Um, And also to just give up um, trying to convert the threes, you know, like if you lean into the messaging that resonates with your fours and fives, lean into your authenticity uh, then you're going to find that the threes will either naturally follow or they won't. Yeah. It reminds me of like reviews for like EntrepAdvisor, for example. Like a lot of people will kind of like jump on and, and, and it's usually because they have something negative to say about a restaurant or the service or the food. But I've been making conscious like plans to every time I eat out and it's it's great even if it's not the best it's like average I'll always write a good review because I think it's so important especially for small businesses that they have that support Um, because I think with us in general like when I say us I mean like humans like you said we think in the neg like we think of the negative things first and we forget about all of those good memories like they're stored in the back of our minds but we should reverse that and they should be at the forefront and the bad stuff should be at the back that's such a good point I love that you make it an intention to provide yeah. reviews everywhere you go I'm gonna start doing that as well because it's so true like you'll find that only the ones and the fives are leaving reviews and the people in the middle you know are, are kind of not using their voice Yeah, exactly. And it's so important now more than ever, like, especially with the hospitality industry, for example, who have really struggled during the pandemic, like a review and a testimonial, even for my kind of small business, it's 
everything. It means everything. So I do try to definitely make that something I do on a regular basis. I now have a new habit. (laughs) Good. I'm glad. (laughs) What are the benefits of having someone hold you accountable for your actions and progress? The benefits are quite profound. We have this ability to negotiate our way out of anything that we know to be true for ourselves Mm -hmm. um, in moments where we're facing two options, either comfort, which is more of the same, or discomfort, which is the new, or taking action, or trying. Uh, And so in those moments, often our brains will be like, "Ah, well, what if this and what if that? And, you know, you're just sort of like negotiating your way out. But whenever you introduce the element of someone outside of yourself who knows what your goals are and what you're trying to do, and they're going to hold you accountable and ask about it, it makes that negotiation process within yourself a little bit more difficult. Mm Absolutely. It reminds me of the gym. So my boyfriend is a personal trainer, which I've mentioned many times on the podcast, but he, his clients, so when he works with his clients, like they love him to be there with him, not just as a safety blanket, but because I think in your mind, especially when you're doing something like an intensive workout, like your mind or your brain is telling you, no, this is too much. You need to stop. But if you have somebody who understands you, your body, your limits, and they're holding you accountable, then you have to keep going. You don't have a choice. Yeah. And that encouragement is so helpful. It can take you so far to just have someone say, you can do this. Yes, exactly. Those are the words that you need to hear. And it really (laughs) does help. Like it does. So I, I know the benefits anyway, but I just wanted you to share because I think it's so important to have somebody like a coach or, or a personal trainer even to, to have in your life if you're struggling. So, yeah. So now moving on to my favorite part of the show, being pets. Can you tell us a little bit more about your life and journey with pets so far? Yes, I am a cat person and I have had cats since I was probably five years old. Uh, I am from a really rural part of the U.S. in North Carolina. And there, um, I don't know how it is other places, but there the the pets are almost always indoor-outdoor. There's not really like just an indoor because you have so much space outside. So we had two cats, one named Simba. And one named Highway, who we found in a box on the side of the highway. <laughs> so we were very creative with our naming, clearly. I also had a goldfish named Gold Goldie and a hermit crab named Hermie. So I was a creative genius. Clearly. <laughs> um, and, you know, they, they came inside and outside. And we kind of shared one with the neighborhood a little bit um, where we all fed them and It was kind of a fun experience. And then later on in life, we got our own cats who were totally indoor. They were brother and sister, Rocky and Misty. Um, They were so adorable. It was so nice to be able to adopt them together instead of separating them so they could have that companionship. Uh, And Misty actually grew to be, I think she like 17 or 18. Um, which was so amazing. But, you know, I, that, that was my, my childhood and my sort of teenage years growing up. And then whenever I moved to Boston, it took me about six years to realize that I wanted a cat of my own and I really wanted that companionship. And, 
so I went on my birthday one year to a shelter and found Princess Fiona the Third. She is an all white, beautiful, more long haired cat with gold eyes. And the second I saw her, even though it sounds a little uh, shallow and surface level, the first time I saw her, it was love at first sight. Yeah. She's beautiful, by the way. I've seen the photos. So Thank I, you. I, I understand where you're coming from. She's <laughs> very stunning. Thank you. I'll tell her you said so. Aww. What is her personality like? She is complex. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good way to describe her. And it's so funny. I'm still figuring her out. And I her personality changes over time, you know, it's like, it's not stagnant. It's, it's ever evolving. Um, but if I had to put it into words, I would say highly independent, but still needy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So fitting for her name, Princess Fiona the Bird. Yeah. She has, she has a lot of love to give, but she wants to give it, uh, in her own way. And as she's gotten older, she's definitely gotten more snuggly and more, I think, just like aware of um, where I'm at in in my day uh, before, like, dogs are really good, I think, at uh, picking up on human emotion yeah. and understanding what's happening. And cats, I don't know if it's that they don't realize it or if they just don't care, but yeah. she's gotten a little bit more sensitive to where I'm at and tries to be more, um, I think, nurturing to me, which is really sweet. It's so cute. Yes, which leads on to my next question, because during the lockdown, you probably spent a lot more time with Fiona than usual. So what was that like? And would you say that she has contributed to your own well-being? It was really nice. And it almost made me feel bad because I didn't realize how much she actually wanted me to be there whenever I was working the nine to five and Mm -hmm. heading out every morning, walking to work and then not getting back sometimes until like, you know, 10, 11, 12 hours later. So it was nice to be able to be there with her, to have her as a companion. I probably wouldn't have had nearly as great of an experience in my apartment, you know, without her here all the time. And we definitely got closer, you know, that might sound silly to say about a relationship with your cat, but, um, you know, the relationship evolved and it does feel like a closer connection with her now. I'm so glad. No, it does, it's not silly to say because it's true. And I think, like you said, cats have their own way of kind of showing emotions. But once you form that connection um, and you kind of witness that closeness and and the rela- the relationship developing more it's it's so true and and honest and like so innocent it's it's beautiful it's a relationship that you can't really have with another human i feel oh i agree i definitely yeah. agree yeah we learn so many life lessons from our pets by simply observing them. Do you think you've learned anything from observing Fiona? <laughs> <laughs> I have learned a few things. One is commitment. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the second would be what you put into relationships or even you know situations um, like launching a business or making a change in your life is kind of what you get out of it. Mm. Um, so whenever I started putting more time 
into Fiona and I had more space and energy to give her over the past year, the dynamic between us, she did. Um, And so it really was an exercise. And if you put more into a relationship, you can sometimes get more out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, if our listeners want to find out more about you and your accounts online, where can they find you? I would love to connect with any listeners. Uh, You can find me on my website at jerrypage.com or my Instagram, which the handle is jerrypage. And that's G-E-R-I-P-A-I-G-E. Well, thank you so much for coming on to do my podcast today. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and I feel like I've learned so much. So thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Michelle, for having me. It's been such a great time being a guest. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We have some amazing guests on the show who share such invaluable advice, stories and inspiration. Can you do me a favour? If you like this podcast, please could you rate, review and subscribe. This will help us reach people who can benefit from listening. Another way you could help is if you could tell a friend who you think might enjoy this podcast too. See you next week. Goodbye.